A reading from Exodus chapter 24, beginning with verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you, are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of the Lord. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters— one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. It's good to be with you all this morning. Special day today. Well, glad that you're here. It is a, uh, um, we are in this, uh, we're just ending this season of epiphany in the church calendar. This is this season, as I've been talking about, of Revelation. So this is a season where we recognize we tell all these stories about Christ revealed for who he is in the world, this light that is always going out into all the world. So we've had all these stories about revelation, 
about God revealing himself to the world. And today we have another one of those stories on Transfiguration Sunday. This season began, Epiphany began, if you remember, with the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus said it, or the Father said at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. And we see the bookend of that here at the end of this season. Another revelation of who Jesus is, where he's revealed before his disciples in power and in glory. We reach a mountaintop in this passage. So it's almost as if, if you think about the scripture story and the church calendar, it's a season of kind of going up on mountains and then going down in valleys. So we've reached here this mountaintop, this pinnacle here in the story, only to know that now we are headed to yet another mountain, to the cross. It's a very different journey. This event reminds us of the places in life where we stand on this precipice, this threshold between heaven and earth, that there are these places in life where we begin to see heaven and earth coming together, heaven breaking in on earth, where we see glimpses of God's will done, his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, in the Celtic tradition, uh, they often call these thin places, these places where you experience God's presence in a unique kind of powerful way. In fact, I'd recommend, uh, many of you know Tracy Balzer. It's Langley's mom. She's a professor of uh, Christian formation at John Brown University. And she wrote a book called Thin Places that explores the Celtic tradition and these moments of standing between heaven and earth where the life, life feels thin. I don't know if you've had those kind of experiences before, profound experiences that kind of, you don't always know what to make of them. Like, It just seems like heaven's breaking into earth in some way. This past week, I gathered in Tulsa with other clergy from uh, my diocese that I'm ordained in, along with some prospective clergy and some other churches. And we had a great couple of days of worship and of study and of conversation. And it was a really, really good time. Thank you for those that prayed for me during that time. It was also a long couple of days. Anytime we get together, I don't know who does all the scheduling. It feels like everything's just packed. So I always have to avoid getting a migraine <laughs> constantly like because it's just all kind of pressed in and it's so much all at once. So my brain kind of hurts during that time. So at the very end, we ended the week with a Eucharist service or ended the couple days with a Eucharist service. And so we all went into the chapel and prepared our hearts to receive uh, Eucharist, to come to the table, to worship together. And right before this chapel service, our bishop said, okay, one, one quick thing before you go, before we have this service and before we leave, there's one quick thing that I wanted to make you all aware of just in case you wanna resource it for your churches. He said, one of our churches in Jacksonville, Florida has this great ministry for kids with special needs. It's a really beautiful thing, a really cool thing. And, and he said, I want the pastor, who's also a bishop, to come and share a little bit about this program for you in case you want to resource it. So we're sitting there, probably as you are now, and we're going, oh, that's cool. That's a neat thing. But this is a part of announcements. You know, it's a, a thing that we'll kind of hear and go, oh, that's neat. Maybe we want to integrate that someday. And then we'll go on with our service. It's time that we meet with God, right? Well, we were all intrigued and we saw this as a cool maybe add-on ministry, but it was a practical matter, an announcement, right? And then this bishop showed a video of their ministry. And they've created a Sunday service for kids with severe autism who are unable to communicate. And many have what's called body dyspraxia where their bodies just don't work well with their brains, right? So their brain is thinking one thing, but their body won't cooperate with what um, they're thinking. 
So what this ministry at this church has done is they found technologies that allow them to express through typing and not even through traditional typing in a specific way, what they're feeling and what they're thinking in order to express it. And I want you to think about this in a church context. Like many of these kids were only known before this ministry by this congregation for their outbursts and their aggressive behavior, right? Like that's what they knew of them, what they thought of them. But many of these behaviors came from frustration that they couldn't communicate what's going on in their brain, right? So through this ministry, they've been provided a way to communicate and many of them for the first time have ever been able to communicate this. And so we heard about what came from their typing (laughs) and the video was them expressing their heart for God and for the Christian community. And it was the voice of the typing, you know, that they've done. And it was powerful. And they were talking about God's love and their identity and the struggle that they face. And in addition to their weekly Sunday service that they have just particularly for these kids, the church also has monthly what they call no hush services where everybody comes together, but you don't ever have to be quiet, right? So it's a no hush service where the whole congregation, the kid, these kids can be as noisy as they wanna be. Um, They can express themselves as fully as they need to be. One student is now at the place where he can say the Lord's Prayer and he says it for this service every month. There's another student who all he can do is shout joyfully. So they begin the service with that. (laughs) He just yells into a microphone to begin the service. We watched this video and I'm not sure there was a dry eye in the place. (laughs) This thing that was supposed to be a little ministry add-on that maybe we could integrate to help people was a thin place. (laughs) It was a moment that changed us in some way. We had a heaven meets earth moment and it was the most unexpected thing. And I thought about it a little bit, thought about, of course God would do that. In the most unexpected way when nobody was anticipating that, was thinking, we'll hear this and then we'll move on to the time we meet with God. God broke in. But here's the deal. As beautiful as these moments are, God is at work even when we don't experience these kind of moments. God is always present with us. God is always working with us, whether we feel it or not. These experiences that we have, this heaven meets earth moment that I had is a gift. It's a gift that we've been given, but it's not the sum total of God's work. We don't go through the Christian life just jumping from one powerful experience to the next one, right? God is always moving and always working. I don't want you to get the sense that God is only at work in times of great emotion. We were surprised by this moment. You are surprised often by the ways that God works. It was an extra glimpse, but God is at work even when we don't feel it. In fact, God is present with us at the heights of spirituality and at the depths of spirituality. He is with us in the moments when we sense him, these moments that are gifts where we go, God, I experienced you in a profound way here. And then in times where God feels fully absent, he is still at work. In our gospel text today, we have one of these surprise moments where we experience the intersection of heaven and earth. There's this incredible event where Jesus takes his disciples up on a mountain and the story's really strange. It would be a difficult story for somebody to make up, right? Because it's just full of so many weird, odd details. There's no precedent really for this kind of story. The three disciples were by themselves and then Jesus, the text says, became transfigured before them. And all we're told is that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became a dazzling white. 
So what's going on here? Well, some suggest that Jesus here is being revealed as divine. He's being revealed as this Jesus guy is God, and that's as simple as it is. And that, from an obvious perspective, an obvious reading of this, that seems to be what's going on. That, of course, why would he shine other than the fact that he's divine? But that can't quite be right because we see in this passage, Moses and Elijah are shining as well, and they're not God. Surely it can't mean that. We're given a clue earlier in Matthew's gospel when Jesus says this. He says, someday God's people will shine like stars. He's quoting Daniel, a passage in the Old Testament. This is really important because for the writers of the Bible, humanity is a beautiful and glorious thing. Let me say that again. Humanity is a beautiful and glorious thing. The biblical writers believe that it is a gift and an incredible thing to be human. Now, we don't think about ourselves that way very often, right? We say things like, well, I'm only human. That's why I mess up all the time, right? Because we say that humanity is, feels like it's something to be escaped or to be let go of or just to be tolerated. But the biblical writers don't think of it that way. Humanity is a beautiful thing. In fact, I have some friends who call themselves Christian humanists. I won't go as far as they go, but I appreciate this concept, this idea that being human is not something to be rejected. It's a thing to be embraced. We've been saying lately that Jesus reveals his revelation is he reveals who God is, but anytime he reveals who God is, it also shows us something of who we're intended and created to be, what our mission is. Jesus's perfect humanity is a model for the glory, the shining in which all of his people will one day share. So at the transfiguration, we don't just see the divinity of Jesus, we actually see the full humanity of Jesus. Jesus leads us into a redeemed and glorious humanity, leading us into who God has created us to be and who one day we will fully become. That's what we see here. So, and, and the early um, Christian writers talked about it this way. They talked about how the transfiguration showed God's humanity shining. But if this shows God's humanity, where do we go to see the divinity of Jesus? The fact that Jesus is divine. What story do we look to for that? Well, the early Christians would say something really counterintuitive. If we look at the transfiguration, we see the humanity of Christ. To see the divinity of Christ, we actually go to the cross. We look at the cross. Why? I mean, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Shining like stars seems to be a divine thing. Dying on a cross seems like a really human thing. But there's something special about the cross. Only our God would do something like that. Give himself for the world. It is the most God-like thing that could possibly happen. Perhaps it is more accurate to say that God is fully God in both of these moments, in the transfiguration with the awe and in the cross with all of the suffering. In the life of Jesus, we see the humanity and divinity come together in a profound way. We see heaven and earth drawn together in a profound way. You could say that we see the ordinary and the extraordinary, the natural and the supernatural drawn together, meeting together. In fact, I wanna suggest this morning that we have to hold these two events together. 
the transfiguration and the cross. Here in the transfiguration, think about these two events side by side, okay? I want you to think about how Matthew is painting this picture. So first of all, think about the transfiguration. Jesus is on a mountain revealed in glory. His clothes are shining white. He is flanked one side by Moses, the other side by Elijah. These are Israel's greatest heroes, okay? So at the transfiguration, we see this. There's a brightness and Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is, okay? A voice from God declares this is his wonderful son. Okay, so you got this picture? This picture, this story that we just read. Shining white, Peter blurts this out, right? Like uh, Moses and Elijah on each side, okay? And then think about the crucifixion. Another mountain, okay? Jesus is not revealed in glory, but in shame. His clothes are not shining white. They've been ripped off of him, right? The soldiers have gambled for them. He is flanked not by Israel's heroes, but by Israel's zealots, murderers who represent the level that Israel has run away from their calling to be a blessing, okay? Darkness has covered the land, not shining white, Peter is not saying this is wonderful. He's hiding in shame, denying he even knows Jesus. And it's not Peter who declares that this moment is great. It's a pagan soldier. And it's not the voice of God who declares, this is the son whom I love and him I am well pleased. It is a pagan soldier who declares mockingly, this is God's son. Think about these two stories next to each other, glory and shame. We are always called to see these two stories together, to see the cross in glory and to see glory in the cross. God's power and love and beauty surprise us all the time. But we must also see that that power and love and beauty are in unexpected places, places we don't expect to see them. Our lives are primarily ones of taking up our cross and following Jesus. And this is difficult. It hurts. It means denying those things that are easy and attractive, right? But true glory is somehow found in the midst of that. I wanna talk about Peter's reaction for just a minute. This beautiful thing happens and Peter kind of blurts out something random. (laughs) You can tell he wants to have something to say. Have you ever been in that kind of moment where like, Something cool happens and just, I gotta say something, gotta end the silence here, right? He wants to be able to process it, to explain it and to somehow affirm it, but he can't seem to find a sentence that does it justice. I wonder if you've ever been in a moment so rich with emotion and someone just says the wrong thing because they're just looking for something to say. I've been in those moments. I've been that guy that said something clumsy. Peter tries to come up with some memorial to honor the event. And it, it's easy for us to like disrespect Peter in these stories, okay? He, he's impulsive. He jumps at the first, and I've heard so many sermons that just rag on Peter for how quick he is to jump at things and maybe how silly some of his ideas seem. But what do you think you would say in this moment? <laughs> Overcome by emotion in a profound way, like, Peter is so overcome by love for Jesus and for this moment that he has to say something. He has to respond somehow. So he says, um, tent. Yes, let's build a tent. Tents, we need tents for these three people. 
That's his response. How do we respond when something beautiful happens in our lives? How about when we have an amazing experience with God, like you experience his true love? What about like when your kids do something amazing, right? Like how do you respond in that moment? Like what about when you experience a beautiful piece of art for the first time? Peter is like, it, it's really good that we're here. That's what he says. I feel that way sometimes. It's good that I'm here. The difficult thing about those moments is we can't save them. We can't cling on to them. We can take a picture We can even take a video, but the experience doesn't last. But in many ways, that's good because it prepares us for new experiences. We'll never have that experience back, but this experience has prepared us for what's next. Sometimes what we want to do in those moments, the only thing that we can do is to try to build a memorial, build a tent, build something to make it last. I think this is what tends to happen in the modern church. Somebody has a big vision, a revival happens, a movement happens, and our response is, let's just keep that thing going. (laughs) Let's concretize that thing. Let's make all of life getting back to that thing. God speaks new things and creates new experiences all the time. We can't fix something in time and hold on to it. The old thing is there to prepare us for what's next. You might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This whole church has been built on re-embracing traditions, on those things in the past, on, on things that we've forgotten and reaching back to those. You might say, Preston, you're the one who brought in ancient language, investments, and things from the past. Yes, but I believe the only way we can see how God is working now and in the future is when we truly live into the story of God's faithfulness in the past. It's somehow trying to find a way to hold on to what God has done and recognize his faithfulness and yet recognize God is doing a new thing. If the transfiguration is about about Jesus leading us into what we will one day be, we always need to remember that thing and that event. In fact, our epistle reading in Peter says that this is what we can trust in. This event, this transfiguration moment, Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We overheard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Notice what God does in this moment. Peter comes up with this plan for tents, right? And then it says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. The word for overshadowed is the word for tabernacled or tent, okay? So Peter blurts out he wants to build tents and God gives him tents, (laughs) but in a way that he completely didn't expect or didn't understand. Another part of the beauty of this event is that Moses and Elijah show up and then they're gone. So they show up for a bit and then they're gone. In this moment, we see two pillars of Israel who each had profound mountaintop experiences of their own. So if you go back and look at the story of Moses and the story of Elijah, they had powerful experiences on a mountaintop. And here they are pointing to Jesus and saying, this is the guy. This is the one in whom our story is fulfilled. 
In fact, some commentators say that Moses and Elijah were probably encouraging Jesus about the journey to the cross that he's about to undertake. That they're saying, you're it. You're the fulfillment of our story, right? You can do this. The tradition matters. The stories matter. And the tradition always points to Jesus. Empty tradition is not helpful. It's not good. Tradition that doesn't point to Jesus is not helpful. We need that story that always points to him. The danger in tent building is when life often becomes more about the tent than the God who spoke. Here was the problem. Peter was so in awe in that moment, and he thought that that moment was the end. Think about it. Like, if you're the disciples, you have wanted Jesus to come into his kingdom. You've waited for that moment when Jesus would come into his kingdom. And here he is on the mountain, and he's shining. And Moses is on one side, and Elijah's on the other. You would think, it's happening, right? Like, the kingdom is here. It's over now. We're going to step into this kingdom. And little did they know that soon to come was the cross. There's more to come, and this more to come will be much harder than this, and it won't look as pretty as this. It's an author named Leonard Sweet, and he once compared the Christian life to a boat. Think about this. The church is the boat itself, okay? So we're in the boat. We're part of God's family. We're in the boat. Jesus is our North Star, okay? The Bible is the map, so the Bible always has to be guided by the North Star, right? You can't have a map without recognizing the North Star. And he said tradition is the anchor. But he makes this distinction here that the anchor is not, like sometimes we think of the anchor as the thing that holds us down, right? That we just like leave it there and it just drops. But, but the anchor is the thing that you throw out ahead of you to where you're going. You actually put it forward so that it takes you to where you wanna go. We have to be a people who follow our story. We have a story. We observe the traditions of the church here and we recognize their importance. We know that we're not alone in this whole church thing, but there are those who have gone before us, those who have created beautiful expressions of this story. But we follow this story as it leads us into all the new things God has for us. Listening to tradition doesn't mean being stuck. It means moving forward. Perhaps the Christian life is not about having a few experiences that we hold tightly to and build our lives around. It's not about chasing the next experience. Perhaps it's about building our lives around the person of Jesus, following wherever he leads us faithfully in our everyday lives. When it's boring and when it's exciting, when it's challenging and when it's comforting, it's about following him to surprise us with his glory over and over again. Both Moses and Elijah experienced God speaking in dramatic ways. Moses was given the law and he had some really powerful moments with God. Elijah called down fire from heaven and fire burned the sacrifice. I don't know if you know that story, but um, Elijah's standing there with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal are going nuts trying to get their God to call down fire on the sacrifice and they can't do it. And Elijah easily calls down fire from heaven. That would be a dramatic experience, right? You call down fire from heaven and he does it. Talk about a heaven meets earth moment, right? And yet, guess what happens to Elijah after that? 
right after this mountaintop, right after this powerful experience, he entered into despair. And the scripture tells us that God still spoke to him, but he spoke to him in a still small voice in the midst of his despair. In fact, if you translate that, some translations say he spoke to him in the utter silence. We have a God who speaks to us in dramatic ways at times, but a God who is also present with us when we don't hear anything at all. There may be times in our lives where God gives us experiences with him that feel really special. Like that experience I had watching that video. Oh my gosh. When I was a teenager, I I remember feeling the nearness of God for a season every single day. Remember waking up and feeling like I was in worship just constantly, right? I had this kind of feeling of nearness. I would wake up in worship. And as I got older, for some reason or another that I can't explain, I felt those kinds of feelings less, way less. And yet God still gifts us with other moments that are beautiful, but they've changed. They're not always, for me, emotional kind of moments or moments of feeling kind of worship or goosebumps in worship. There are things like when I see character developing in someone's life, I go, whoa, that's Christ at work. That's the Holy Spirit. When I see um, the smile of my little girl, right? that's God at work. We have to learn to hold our experiences and our lack of experiences loosely. When we have a profound encounter with God, it's possible to fully celebrate that encounter while also recognizing that that's not it. That's not all of it. He has given us a gift of that experience to benefit others. And then there will be times in your life with God where he will feel absent. But that's not actually true. We feel that way, but he's not actually absent. God is always somehow with us, always working. So that feeling of absence, so we can say these experiences with God that we have, these thin places are gifts of God, but also the feelings of absence are also gifts of God. God is doing something in us that we can't see and we can embrace that as a gift. My friend, Dr. Chris Green says that we need to practice the absence of God. There's a famous book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he says, we need to work better on practicing the absence of God. What do we do in the times that we don't feel him? Both feelings of God's presence and feelings of God's absence are gifts because God is always up to something in our midst. Sometimes like the disciples in the transfiguration story, we will be afraid of God's presence. I always thought it was interesting in this story that God says, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. And then it says the disciples fell down in fear. (laughs) They were afraid of it. Right? It was overwhelming and they didn't know what it, could be, what it could mean. And then he says to the disciples, do not be afraid. So sometimes we fear his presence. Sometimes we're afraid of God's absence. After this event, the disciples will march to the cross. Just as they didn't understand the transfiguration, they certainly didn't understand the crucifixion. And yet God's word to them is the same. Do not be afraid. As we close today, we're about to embark on the season of Lent. That begins this Wednesday. Lent is a time of walking to the cross. It's a time of repentance, of humility, of preparation. 
It's sometimes around here we describe it as a spring cleaning for the soul, <laughs> time of taking space to recognize and be aware of those places in our life that um, may be pointed in directions that they shouldn't be. This is a time to hold on to our faith, to those ways in which God has proved himself faithful to us and to those in our story over and over again. And yet we can't cling to those experiences as all there is because we're on a journey. There is a time to listen for God in the silence. And I wanna encourage those of you that are in a season where you just don't feel God very strongly, where you go, hey, I've had these moments in my life where I felt him really strongly or when I came to faith and it was like clear and I had this great moment and then now it just, I just don't feel his presence anywhere. I wanna encourage you to kind of lean into that silence. Say, Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given me of your silence because I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Even in times when I can't feel or experience you, where are you at work? May we have grace to celebrate those profound heaven meets earth experiences. And may we have grace to remember that God is at work even when we cannot see. Amen.